So we don't do the intro anymore. On purpose. It's you're not missing anything. Nothing's wrong with your podcast player. We trust the audience is really what it is. We're hitting record before we normally hit record. As soon as we log into Skype, we hit that record button. So you're getting the beginning conversation. You're actually getting more podcast instead of less podcast. That's true, because we would talk for at least a good solid five to ten minutes about everything else. Just hello, how you been, what's new? And then yeah. we would start the podcast with a big official opening. Yeah. So our I never knew how to do correctly, so now I don't have to figure out how to do it correctly. Right, yeah, and we have to go. stop yeah. cursing earlier, that's all. <laughs> yeah. uh, so the yeah. so there will not be an intro. There's not gonna be an intro music, there's not gonna be welcome to and, and, and all that. We're just going to hit record and whatever whoever says the first thing, that's uh, that's how it that's how it starts. That's what the young kids are doing. That's what the young kids are doing. <laughs> <laughs> We're trying to hold on to our youth. I'm a little feisty this morning. I've had 20 minutes of computer problems. I'm ready oh, to fight. Great. Okay. I, I, I great. thought it'd be a great idea to restart my computer right before we hopped on the Skype, and it turns out my Bluetooth stopped working, and my keyboard and my mouse are both Bluetooth, so I have no way to log into the computer. And so I'm like s- scrambling around looking for a cable to plug it in, and uh, here we are. 20 minutes later. And because I'm 20 minutes late, we're going to do 20 minutes less podcast, right? That's right. That's right. You can blame it on David. Send all your complaints to david at david.com. We had 20 minutes at the end to do all the intros for the last seven episodes. There you go. There you go. <laughs> I will say, though, that um, we were just talking about feeling young, and you totally made yourself sound old because you called it the Skype. <laughs> did I say it? No, no, David did. Oh, okay. So yeah, you, you're the one that marks up your the email. Yeah. So <laughs> twice in the past two days, I meant to <clears throat> reply to somebody on Twitter, and I just did a general broadcast. So my two of my tweets didn't make any sense and one of them sounded like i was just bragging <laughs> and i was like oh man i'm such an old man i like because i'm not using twitter right so i am i'm gonna be 43 this summer so i don't know what that oh, means man. on the twitter on the twitter on the twitter well what's going on what have you guys been up to anything cool mm. i've been having a lot of fun making stuff everyone says i'm Everyone keeps saying I'm killing it, but I just feel like I'm doing what I always do. It's just, I think the move, I know we're not allowed to say about the move, but the move really kind (laughs) of, like, threw, like, a wrench into my creative flow, but I didn't really notice it. And, you know, obviously that manifested in just everything slowing down, you know, on social media. And, uh, but now I'm getting into a groove. It's, I got, like, five or six projects cooking at any given time. And, boy, when it gets warm out, I'm going to be unstoppable. I have to stop Mm. to warm my hands up about every 30 minutes incredibly cold today is 30 so it's like spring is starting to kick in Mm. but yeah i've just been super busy i'm making these cool big marquee letters which have been a lot of fun because i usually make those letters with a much thinner gauge metal which i could just do at the bench top you know surround the letters with the metal but this time i'm using 16 gauge steel so i get i get a chance to use all my metal bending tools and it's been a lot of fun Mm. exercising those old skills i used to work at a sign shop i would do stuff like that 30 years ago and I haven't had really much of a chance to do it since. So what's the difference in time, like production time to have to use those tools to bend those rather than just the using the thinner stuff? Is it a lot longer? Uh, no, honestly, no, because the letters are much bigger. So the letters are 30 inches. It's too, it's, it's funny, you know, I, you really feel your age when, 
when I was, I haven't drank in 30 years, but when I was a kid in my 20s and when drinking age was under 21, so how long it's been since I drank, the drinking age was 19 when I stopped. You, you can go into a bar and order a seven and seven and everybody knew what that meant. Everybody comes into my shop and some of the social media about these big sevens I'm making. Everyone's like, what is that? Are those jackpot numbers? What is the seven? I go, that's the Seagram seven, seven. Like it's mm-hmm. a brand that hasn't been really touted in a mm-hmm. long time. And I haven't noticed cause I'm not in that business anymore. You know, the business of getting drunk and, and now everyone's like excellent title by the way seagrams what is that they don't know what that is so when i was a kid seagrams was like the way bullet is now seagrams was was advertised everywhere and so anyway seagrams is trying to make a comeback and they have a lot of big advertising stuff planned for the next year and through the same group i get all my advertising my my liquor business stuff from we're doing seagram seven letters so it's the, the number seven is much bigger so it's 30 inches tall it's easier to bend metal when it's big. If I had to do small letters, like the bullet little channel letters I've done that are about eight or nine inches tall, the heavy gauge metal would be very difficult. So mm, I see. All in it was big. And then also it's only two numbers. It's just the number seven twice. This is the other thing. Everyone thinks I'm making core 77 sign because I'm making two uh, sevens. Everyone's is this a core uh, 77 sign? I thought that they didn't know you still work with them. <laughs> anyway. So, oh, and by the way, I don't work for Core Seventy Seven anymore. We, they had some budget concerns, and so I haven't made a video for them specifically in quite some time. A lot of people keep asking me that too through email. Yeah. Anyway, so the, making so, these letters is fun. That's it. Nice. So, I, just a quick to go back, since we're not supposed to talk about moving, let's talk about moving for a second. Um, have you now that we've all kind of everything is done, we're moved, things, shops are back set up and everything. Do you feel settled again? Like overall, like in life, do you feel settled after such a big change? Or is there still something about the shop or your productivity or something that's still like a little off? Honestly, no, my shop is like very disorganized and there's just piles of like to-do lists. So like over there, like the metal room is like, that's a pile that's going to get that thought through i'm going to do a sponsored video for taylor's area we we mapped off about 20 by 20 feet for taylor's shop and that that's i'm doing a sponsored dewalt video where we build out that shop so that's going to happen so even though i'm settled like i kind of if i could focus on my bench top i'm settled there my bench top where i get stuff done but all around me is like a whirlwind of chaos of disorganization hmm. so but my buddy Ryan, who moved up here, he just bought, he rented a house in January. So Ryan's just getting settled up here from New York. He, he's been in a couple of log updates over the year, but hardly anything. But he'll probably be more videos coming up. Anyway, Ryan moved up here and he's going to start working out of my shop. And he said his first order of operation is to organize my metalworking section. So he's taken it upon him. Hmm. He said, I'm going to organize, that's going to be my space because that's what he does mostly. He's going to organize all my tools and bring some of his tools. So I'm looking forward to letting Ryan do that. So like if we can do stuff like that, I'll, I'll start to get more settled. And it's looking more and more, even though I'm obviously still going to build this building in the backyard and electric is next and getting some quotes on the electrical service. I, it looks like like I'm going to kind of stay settled in that big warehouse for a little while. My, I'm getting up to a new lease coming up, and I'm going to sign it and just do another year and take it from there and see mm. where it goes. So I really like having that raw, gritty, dirty space to just do whatever I want. And yeah, you know, I could do the same thing here. I mean, there's certainly no problems with neighbors where I'm at, but it's just nice having that big old industrial space. Kind of reminds me of the basement, but like on steroids. <laughs> <laughs> David, what about you? Have you? Do you feel settled now? Do you feel like back to it? 
For the most part, yes. I, I'm actually, the way that my shop is set up and some of the new tools that I got, I'm actually better off and more efficient at some of the things that I do. But naturally, I'm kind of an anxious person. So in the back of my head, there's always this, I need to finish this for the shop. I need to do this for the shop. And so I, I feel like it's not ready. It's not done yet. Even though I can do all the things that I want to do, there's still these things, these tables that, that I need to build and some things that need to be organized. But if I, if I just remove that mental block from my head, I'm, I'm settled in. Mm, gotcha. That's good. I was just thinking about it this morning because like I've pretty much got the, the shop is pretty much in place. Like everything's kind of there and working, you know, and I've built like the dust collection and all these new, th- add all the lights and the, the electrical, all the stuff I wanted to do to make it like really usable. It's all pretty much there. And so I was in the shower this morning and I started thinking about um, kind of like what's next. Like what are the like I have a, another series of videos that I want to do next to my project videos, and that's already begun to start in production and all that. But I was just kind of thinking about like, like everything is working now. Everything is kind of in place, and I can, I can just get to work, and there's nothing in my way of like, well, I I don't have the the X that I wanted, you know, like I don't have that paint booth that I keep thinking about. I do have it now, yeah. and so all those things are kind of out of the not all of them, but most of those things are kind of out of the way. And so now I'm starting to think about like, now that everything is there, do I just keep going in the way that I would have gone if I hadn't moved? You know, do I keep with the weekly projects at the same pace and the same scale? Do I try to do something entirely different? Do I just try to creep up on something new? Do I, you know, I'm just kind of brainstorming and thinking. But it's interesting for the first time in probably about a year to not be looking at a move coming up or looking back at a move and still feeling like I'm in a, you know, in cardboard boxes. It's, it's cool to be for the first time, like, okay, stuff is settled. Now what? Like now what can I really do that I couldn't do over the last year or the last six months or whatever. So anyway, I was just curious if you guys had looked at that at all, or if you're not even feeling settled yet. So I feel settled, but I feel like there's chaos all around me, but I'm settled right where I work. So I can have like you, centered peace of mind while I do what I got to do. Did you feel like that in the city though, too? Yep. At all, or were you totally <laughs> set? I felt like that since I was conscious. Yeah, because that seems like fifty years. You, I mean, from my perspective, it seems like you would always feel like inspired and kind of looking around, and you know, I can do this or I can do this. And when you get on a piece, it seems like you would be really on it until it's done. Yeah. I have a real, I have but, a, I have a, a special ability to just kind of block out all distractions when I when I focus on something. Yeah, like I, I could just there could be people all around me talking, arguing, and breaking bandsaw blades and doing their thing, and I could just be what I'm doing. And that's mm. a special, that's a special skill to develop to try not to be distracted by everything around you and just focus on what it is you got to do. Do you have any tips for how to develop that, or is that just something that's happened over time? Just learn how to ignore people. Headphones. <laughs> that's, that's how you do it. Put headphones on and then plug the wire into your pocket. Don't even stick it into anything. So you could at least still hear, like, if the building's on fire, you know it's time to leave. But when people mm, talk yeah. to you, just ignore them. Or another good tactic is <laughs> is just put on, like, the muffle headphones, you know, the muffle, the muffle ones that are supposed to cut noise down. So mm. when you wear them, everybody knows not to really have a conversation. It's kind of, it's like, when you have huh. them on, it basically means, like, I'm hiding in plain sight. Please don't talk to me. 
even though all the machines have been like turned off. So if you use like loud, loud tools for a couple seconds and you just don't take the headphones off, it's like isolation booth time. Huh. Yeah. Try That's- that. Actually, pretty clever. <laughs> I mean, it's funny because if you worked with people enough, you know, you could actually mention that at some point and be like, if I'm, you know, so that we don't have to like deal with it in the moment, if I have headphones in, just leave me alone. Because well, just... when you say that, when you say that out of context, people would probably be like, oh, okay, cool. Now I know. Right. And that would be really useful, you know, if you were working with people. Well, I'm saying that if you work with people and you put on headphones and they talk, you have a perfect legitimate reason to ignore them. <laughs> yeah, I know what you're saying. You know, you could, you just... could certainly hear them, but you could just be like, you know what? I don't feel like talking right now, so I'm just going to pretend I didn't hear that. Yeah. Yeah. It's like uh, isolation, but like, what do they call it? The cone of silence. James, <laughs> James Bond from Maxwell Smart. Boy, I'm really referencing something that nobody ever heard of. <laughs> I think there's probably some people that know Maxwell Smart. There's a couple Agent of 99. 50 something year olds. <laughs> Here you That's go. Right. Yeah. Have you ever thought about making a shoe phone? <laughs> what do you mean thought about it? i got three of them right here oh nice there you go oh, okay. and the calendars don't awesome. work on like, any of them <laughs> <laughs> they all have water in them <laughs> uh that's funny yeah. well uh david what have you been up to you've been working on anything uh a couple things uh one i want to do an update on on the food dispenser the dogfish or dogfish the dog oh, yeah. food food dispenser <laughs> um i I purchased a plastic uh, food grade auger, uh, and I got, I got a couple oh, different sizes. They should be arriving any, anytime soon. Um, and I'm also going to try to 3D print one, but buying one is my my safe bet because I'm also I'm having a little bit of issue with my 3D printer. The feeder is not feeding anymore. I think it's clogged up, and I gotta I, fix it. So that was mm. that's kind of frustrating. Um, but uh yeah so i'm gonna think i'm gonna start on that next week this week we're doing a couple little videos we went um antique store shopping and got some things that we're going to kind of tear apart and and upgrade i had this um this one crazy idea that i'm also going to try to film this week and this is not a brainstorming session but if you guys have ideas, I'm I'm open to it. I want to make a little wooden box with no woodworking tools, and so I have uh, this big sheet of walnut um, paperback veneer, and I got some foam core board, and I'm going to veneer some foam core and cut it all with the utility knife and try to make a box out of that. So when you look at it, it looks like a solid wood box, but in actuality, it's just foam core veneered. So that's nice. that's a that's the thing I'm gonna try. Cool. So that's a good idea. when you say I don't have those tools, I'll just send you a utility knife. Do <laughs> you heard it here? <laughs> you better eBay a big old box of utility knives. Yeah, yeah. That's funny. Which by the way, you guys said something about a utility knife. I was I was busy looking at my phone. I'm uh <laughs> not n- listening again. <laughs> Another thing I'm working on. Well, I just saw that it popped up on my phone that Vic Damone passed away. He's a singer like the, from Frank Sinatra era. Mm. Breaking news. Um, <laughs> I'm working on. I made this like Exacto thing. I think probably talked about it last week. Yeah, it's it's becoming like a little hot topic. This Exacto knife thing. I'm looking for it. It's in the other room. But we're, we're working on me and uh, my buddy Kevin Lazat. We're working on trying to turn it into a product so I, it's funny i just mentioned it to him people always say like 
how do you get involved? You know, just like take the initiative, just like, just go for it. And anyway, I just emailed Kevin a couple of questions. I was like, hey, what's your opinion on this? What's your opinion on that? And instead of answering me back, he just answered me back with a picture of the one he made. <laughs> he literally like, <laughs> I must have caught him at a moment where he had like some free time. We were just having a conversation throughout the day on text message actually. And, and he, instead of sending me back, like we did a couple of sketches, but literally within the hour, he sent me back a model of one he made on the lathe. So that that's moving along pretty briskly, and I'm excited about mm. that project. And the one I made myself, I grab a hundred times a day, which is like gives me confidence that it's actually a good, useful tool. So, mm. Anyway, so that's my utility knife update. That's another thing I was working on this week. Sweet. Oh, I just can I jump back because yeah. um, I meant to say this while you were talking, David. The I don't I don't know if you've worked on three D modeling the the screw. You know, you were talking about the auger. You're mm-hmm. going to buy one. Mm-hmm. Um, when I did mine in Fusion, there's a, a I guess it's called a screw tool or something, but you can create a screw in Fusion with like oh. like you hit the tool and it gives you how deep you want or like the angle that you want yeah. it to be, you know, how many turns you want it to be over a distance and stuff like that. So there is a tool in there to help you model that uh. depending on what you know, the specifics of how you want to do it. But the first time I tried to do it, I started from scratch and I was like, oh, I have an idea how to do this. And I got, you know, maybe 10 minutes in and was like, nope, nope, way off. <laughs> it's totally wrong. <laughs> and then I found that tool and it was more helpful. So gotcha. it's in there. All right. But, that'll that'll make it um, a lot and as easier. far as your as far as your 3d printer if it's not feeding those have a little brass gear mm-hmm. that feeds through uh, that pushes the filament up and a lot of times if the filament got stuck and that gear turns on it it grinds it away and then fills up the teeth of the gear with the plastic and then after that it can't grab into it so a lot of times you'll have to take a toothbrush and just brush out the plastic from the teeth of that brass gear and move the filament up a little bit manually, and then it should be able to grab. So you may want to look at that. Gotcha. That that's, be it. Uh, yeah, it sounds like that's exactly what happened. In the middle of printing one of those little organizer boxes, it just stopped feeding, and um, there's like there's like a little release lever on there, and so I pulled the filament out, and there was just like a like it just was spinning. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. I, and there was a piece broken off in there, um, and I got that out. And I thought that was the issue, and then, but it's still not feeding. So I, I need to clean those teeth. It sounds like, yeah, that's happened to me on a few different printers at different times. And I'm not really sure why that happens. It just something gets hung, and as soon as the filament stops moving for just a second, but that gear's still turning, it just like grinds it out, and then there's nothing for it to catch. Gotcha. So, yeah. Let's see. For me, I made a air-powered rocket launcher this week. <clears throat> so that was pretty cool. What? Um, it's actually, it's at, that sounds way cooler than it actually is. But <clears throat> when we were at uh, Maker Faire, uh, Mini Maker Faire recently with my kids, they had a, um, like a little, it's just a canister with a bike pump at the end of it. And so you pump up the canister, you pressurize the canister, and then it had a little uh, sprinkler valve at the end with a button. Press the button. It lets all that pressure and air out through a smaller tube. And then there's a paper rocket sitting on top of that tube and it shoots the rocket up so kids could take a piece of paper make their rocket at one table go over and set it on this thing you know pump it up manually just it's just a bike pump and then shoot the rocket and it would go like easily four or five stories up it was really really high and so uh, as soon as i saw that i was like oh that's really similar to the pudding gun that i did from a mechanic standpoint i mean everything is the same but instead of using a 
air compressor. They're just using a bike pump. So we made that, um, and it's awesome. It worked out really well. I made the rockets so that they fit on a single sheet of paper. So, you know, we can give people the template for that and they can just make rockets. And it's using the only tool I used for the whole thing was, um, like a jigsaw or a circular saw or something. I don't remember what I used to cut the PVC pipe, you know, but other than that, it's really just PVC and glue and, and tape and stuff to get it all put together. So, uh, and it's runs off three, nine volt batteries. So, you know, you don't even have to have it plugged into the wall or anything. It's a pretty cool little project and something that, you know, parents and kids could build together and play with together. Cause it's a lot of fun just to shoot stuff. Oh, and the pipe that we used turns out that it actually, the inner diameter is the same size as a Nerf dart. <laughs> so you can stick a Nerf dart down in there and shoot them. So then I started thinking, well, like how else can I use that? And I made, this is not going to be in the video, but we might put a little video on the second channel about it. But I ended up just taking a piece of that small pipe. This is like a half inch CPVC pipe and put a little hand pump, bike pump, like a basketball pump, you know, like a real tiny one directly into the back of that tube and put on the front of it, I put a little blower from an air compressor, like the little, like your knuckle duster, that mechanism, you know, that was used for that. That's on the front. And then another tube to put the dart in. So basically you have a little handheld thing that you can pressurize with a pump and shoot a Nerf dart, but it shoots it like, I don't know, five times farther and five times faster than a normal Nerf gun. So that was kind of cool just to have this extra little thing that came out of experimenting, uh, even though we're not really going to turn it into a video. But so those will be out this week. Uh, where where does the battery come cool. into play? I was a little confused. How does the battery? So the, the container, the container's pressurized, and the the front end of that goes into a sprinkler valve. That's a twenty four valve, twenty four volt valve. Um, and so the batteries go to that, and then there's a button in the way. And so oh, when you so. press the button, it lets the power to the valve. Opens I'm thinking the valve of a mechanical button, so it's an electric button. Yeah. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. When I was a kid, so, we played with Parks Rockets. Do you remember those? The plastic, the red plastic, I remember, red and white plastic, usually clear red and white plastic. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you where you pump them, them up water. with the, yeah, yep. Those things are dangerous. Those. <laughs> and you can them. do that with... Um, you can do that with like a soda bottle. You mm-hmm. can make that same mechanism, pressurize it with water and air, and then it, you know, it'll blast off and shoot water out of the back of it. Those yeah. are really cool. Those things were very, they had a lot of velocity, those things. Yeah. And they had like the, the fins on them were yep. canted in opposite directions, so it would kind of spin as it went up. Yeah. It would rifle in the air. Yeah, those, it was, and it was, if anybody doesn't know, this, those rock, they look like 1950s rockets. They were kind of long, elongated pill shapes with little fins yeah. at the bottom. They might still make them. I just haven't seen them in what, a long time. What were they called? Parks rockets? Parks rockets. I just remember because when I was heavy in the toy business, everybody, all the toy inventors always talked about them because they were such a great, efficient mechanism and they were just fun to play with as a kid. So, like, Oh, yeah, here they are. Huh. Is it still I, available? I remember them, but I don't see new ones. I just found a picture of an old one. I'm sure they probably are, but every everything I find on Google is just a picture of a park with a rocket structure in it, which is <laughs> <laughs> not really what we want. That, that was uh, that oh, as yeah. I recall the name because there was one inventor I used to talk about it with all the time. But everybody, it was kind of like one of those things. That's the kind of cool toy toy you want to make. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. And actually, my friends similar. My friends invented a thing called air hogs. You remember that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Air Hogs is a very successful toy. My friends invented that. My friend's uh, Ray Kempfer Design in Chicago. 
Hmm. And that That's was a whole you know, line of toys now. Yeah, and uh, so the the initial model they made was sort of a derivative of Parks rocket, but they made they took a rocket and turned it into an airplane. Yeah, using the same compressed air mechanism. Sweet. So anyway, that's what I was working on this week, and it's uh, it was it was a lot of fun because it, it's also one where you know to shoot the final pieces for it, I had to go outside and set it up, and we got the drone out, and the kids came out and got to pump it up and shoot them off and try to catch the rockets when they came down. So it was fun to be able to shoot that stuff with the kids and have them enjoy something because a lot of times I was talking to them about this this weekend. Like a lot of times, you know, I work during the day while they're at school. And they get home, they do their homework and stuff, and then I try to come up at dinner time so I can so we can hang out. But then that doesn't give us a whole lot of time to like make things together or for them to really even see a whole lot of what I do throughout the day. It's just kind of weird the way the timing works out. But so it was nice to have a thing that like I need you guys to be a part of this so that it works, you know, so that it makes sense. And so as soon as they got home from school, like they walked in, I said, drop your bags, go to the backyard. And they were like, why? Because we're going to shoot rockets. And they were like, what? Amazing. So that was a lot of fun. Yeah. And actually, uh, speaking of yesterday, we kind of, we always have so much stuff going on. Uh, kids do basketball now. So Saturdays are basketball games all day long. Sunday, we just said, we're going to stay home for the afternoon. You know, after lunch, we're just going to be there and just do stuff. And so it was the first time in a really long time that the kids said, like they were not distracted enough to, and they said, "Hey, can we make something in your shop?" And I didn't have any reason to say no. Yes, we let's go do that. What do you want to do? So that was really cool. My oldest um, wanted to cut out. He had this. <laughs> he had a little circle, uh, a little puck from our Christmas tree when they when we got our Christmas tree this past year. The guy cut off the end of it at the store, and and my son was like, "Can I keep that?" <laughs> the guy's like, "Yeah, sure." And so, you know, he just collects junk. So I was like, yeah, just keep the, the sliver. So he's held on to it since Christmas. And so he pull, he picks up this thing yesterday and he was like, I want to turn this into a stand. I'm like, okay, a stand for what? I don't, well, uh, a fish. Okay, how are we going to make a fish? I'm going to draw it out and then we're going to cut it out in wood. I'm like, all right, let's do it. So it was really funny because he mainly wanted to use this thing as a stand. And I said, well, we need a project. We need... We need to know what it's used for or what it's going to look like or something. We can't just go cut up a piece of wood and expect it to turn into what you want. So it was funny, like, kind of working him through, if we're going to make a stand, it needs to be a stand for something. So think about what that thing is. And anyway, he, I had him draw out this little fish that he wanted to draw. We you know, spray adhesived it to a small piece of wood, got out the, the uh, scroll saw, and I taught him how to use the scroll saw. And he got really good at it really fast. Like, he didn't... He didn't know not to draw small detail, right? So he just drew like these tiny little fins and little a little crook for the mouth and all this stuff. And I'm thinking, like, he's not going to be able to cut that out. That's not going to work. And so he didn't know he shouldn't draw it that way. So when it came time to cut it, I was like, all right, this is this is why this is going to be difficult. But you know, go about it this way. Make sure that you cut in from two different directions to try to get where you want. And he did really, really well. And he totally cut out every bit of the shape. I was <laughs> totally great. impressed. And it was really, really cool. And he was really proud of himself because he could see that I was happy with him and everything. Anyway, so he cut out this little tiny fish. It's like, I don't know, four inches, maybe an inch tall. And uh, and then we – and it was – the piece of wood was already painted. It was left over from something else. So he said he wanted um, the fins to be a different color. So I was like, all right, well, let's mask off everything with tape 
And he was like, I don't know what that means. It was really funny. Something that simple, like use masking tape to mask something so that you can paint it. And something that seemed really simple to me was just another example of like, my kid doesn't know this. He doesn't have any reason to have ever learned that before. (laughs) And this is an opportunity for me to teach him something small. Anyway, so we masked this thing off. He got to spray paint, you know, in the paint booth, he got to spray paint the fins. And then every five minutes for the rest of the day was like, is it dry? Is it dry? But it was really cool just uh, being able to, I don't know, like it's easy for me to come up with excuses as to why I don't want to go back to work to do stuff like that with them, you know, in the midst of a weekend when we're trying to do other things. And it was really cool. Like it was totally worthwhile and I need to make sure that I keep myself always saying yes to stuff like that. You know, it's so easy to be like, not now or not today in my personal experience my dad that's how that's exactly what my dad did with me and and it's funny just an odd coincidence and one of the very first projects i ever remember my dad doing with me was we cut out a little fish that was in like the back of like a popular (laughs) mechanics it was like a fish jumping out of water and i still have it in fact when last time i saw my mother she held us she was like remember this do you want to take this to the city i was like you know what leave it there it's in a safe place hanging on the wall and it's something i made when i was probably six or seven years old on the jigsaw on the you know the scroll saw the an old one that weighs a thousand pounds made by craftsmen in the fifties and I scroll saw cut it out. And then my dad broke it. He had this whole set of oil paints. We broke out the oil paints and we painted it with a brush. So it's funny. You're talking about something that I went through exactly the same thing as the same age. So it's funny. And that's pretty cool. That's it. Just, you know, never say no. I did. Yeah. I just remembered this, that I was totally a Jimmy Duresta back in shop days uh, in high school shop days because i whenever i didn't have anything to do i drew out my name and cut that out on the scroll saw or the band saw and so i had like three or four of these daves that for no reason so i was really into my name back then that's funny Hmm. i've said this a million times i said this a million times so i'm going to say one more time because it's context is right when i was a kid and me and my brothers all got good on the scroll saw my dad said charge kids you go to school with it a quarter per mm. letter and have them cut their name out. And that's how me and my brothers all got good on the scroll saw growing up. And that was our first jobs. Those are our first, hey, you owe me a dollar for your name is, you know, four letters. And so we'd have a little black notebook. And my dad used to have this, he still does, but he has this like ability to draw letters. And as a kid, he had this bubble letter font that he would always draw. It's real simple, but it was very distinctive to my dad. And he would draw out all these bubble letters for each one of the names on a predetermined piece of wood. And he'd leave a little edge at the bottom that would hold the letters together. So it would say, you know, B-O-B on a little rested, like half inch high edge. And the letters would be individual. And all the inside of the, the circles would get drilled out. My dad would drill them. So he'd give us the, the wood with the Sharpie thing on it and then we would cut it out on the jigsaw and then we'd burn it Hmm. with a torch and then then wire brush it so the grain would pop and we varnish them and then we'd bring them to school you know two days later three days later so we always had like a little order to fulfill and that was because my dad pushed us to doing that that was the beginning of me making signs you know so i made that and then this weekend i made that big number seven so it's funny Hmm. like all that learning is still in the forefront yeah that's awesome. And I bet that probably gave you something to do, kept you out of trouble, too. Oh, for sure. To a degree. Yeah, yeah. well, maybe. A little bit. <laughs> <laughs> you My, would have been in more trouble without that. <laughs> yeah. it that way. I grew up with the rowdiest bunch of dirtbags. <laughs> Good guys. <laughs> All right. So, we're like 33 minutes in. <laughs> do we have a topic? 
Jimmy, you wanted to talk about something, right? Oh, well, I was just going to bring up the conversation of CNC in the process of the daily routine of making things out of wood. I got my big shop out at the beginning of this month. And it's funny, my, my buddy wrote me a message. He goes, you haven't turned that thing off since they left. I did a week <laughs> of training two weeks ago with the guys from ShopBot. Thank you, guys. And they assembled the machine, and they trained me. And a lot of stuff on the Vectrix software that I've already known, I'm using Vectrix uh, uh, VCarve. And actually, Vectrix just gave me Aspire, which is VCarve with like a little bit more advanced technology. You could do some three-dimensional modeling on it. Uh, it's what Tim Sway's been using. That's what Tim Sway hooked me up with them. But just wanted to talk a little bit about the idea. Like, if you guys notice, I've been making finger jointed boxes and stuff, mm-hmm. and that's it's so fun. I, I I used to see those and be like, ugh, CNC boxes. But now I can't make enough of them. I'm actually making <laughs> I'm making about ten or fifteen of them to hold these these bundles of screws I got. It was on my Instagram story last night, and it's so rewarding to be able to cut out. And then they just kind of slightly just snug together. It is so exciting. Like the, my favorite part of that is assembling them. Um, but just the 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 nuances of setting up the file and you can expand. I mean, everybody knows this, but you could expand like a vector line by thousandth of an inch, two thousandths of an inch, and then the next cut will be a little bit more snug. So it's just it's been really exciting and a lot of people want to know how you could work that into your workflow. I'm doing all these like real digital looking files, but there I have some projects coming up where I'm gonna try and do some CNC projects where the CNC aspect of it is disguised so it doesn't look like it has like little dog bones at the joints and stuff. Before we like do a deep dive into CNC and half the audience goes away because they don't care. Uh, I I, want to talk about um, CNCs are becoming more affordable. And if you're, I want to ask the question, if you're just a woodworker, an average woodworker, a guy doing stuff, guy, girl doing stuff in their shop in the weekends and they get a CNC, how does that, how can they use that in, in woodworking? What 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 would the average person use a CNC for? Mm-hmm. Well, uh, for instance, uh, Vectrix come. If you get obviously, there's lots of. I'm just using Vectrix, so I can only talk about what I know. But there's lots of software, and you can get clip art. And one of the first projects we did on this new sh- shopbot was uh, Chris showed me I can download a, a horse because Taylor has a horse. So he's like, "Oh, let's make something for Taylor." So we got a, a 3D model of a horse, and then I CNC'd out this beautiful horse in the middle of a clock. So now I have my shop, I have this clock with a horse in the middle of it. It's actually really beautiful. It's just a raw piece of MDF. It's nothing special at the moment, but it's certainly the basis of a much bigger project. We could make the the outside edge. We could get a glass bubble and make a beautiful clock face. So it's, it's, it's another tool. And uh, before we dig too much deeper into it, a lot of people say CNC is kind of like cheating. But if you think of moments in history that the, the tool history is there's that funny video I talked about a year ago where there's like two cavemen are walking around and one guy makes handles and one guy finds rocks and his job is to find rocks to put on handles. And the, and then the salesman comes along and goes, Hey, look, we got this. And they're all dressed in furs. And the salesman has like a case. He opens it up. He goes, look, I'm making all these bronze ax heads. And the guy with the rock, the guy in the rock business looks at him and goes, well, what am I supposed to do? He goes, I don't know, find another job. And so there's always these moments of advancements in technology. And you think of the guy like they used to do use a pit saw. Two guys would stand on either end of a saw. One guy would be down in the hole. The other guy would be above, and they would be push and pull on a giant saw to cut a log in half. Right? That's called the pit saw. 
Now, one day somebody welded a big long loop together and put it on a bandsaw and made a bandsaw mill or a big giant circular saw blade. Did those two guys look and go, I'm going to do it the old way. I don't need that technology. <laughs> you you, you got to ask yourself. They probably did. The, you know, the guy that put a circular saw blade on a thing. Goes, I don't need that, that advancement of technology. I'm going to stick to using my arm and my shoulder. So these moments in time where there's advancements in technology, there's always like the group that sticks with no change. For instance, you guys notice this video I made this weekend? I, I refitted a the, the the stock of a gun. Oh yeah, boy! If you guys thought the axe nerds were bad, oh my god! <laughs> uh, <laughs> I saw a little bit of that, but I so right when away, I quickly. go. By the way, when I go into my like withheld comments, there's like hundreds of comments withheld because people are talking very spicy. I just select all <laughs> and approve. Select all and approve. And now they're, approve. Fight, they're fighting with each other. There's like this wrestling matches going on in the comments. This, I'm like out of it. <laughs> like every time I open hmm. the comments section, there's like dust and legs and smoke spinning. That's funny. <laughs> so I, before you put the video out, I saw the Instagram. And there was some, some heated stuff going started, on in Instagram. So I'm like, I can't wait for this video <laughs> because this is going to be a good read down in the comments. And oh, my God. So I, I think I saw the video maybe an hour or two after you posted it and the the comments that show up 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 at the top are the ones that the creator loves and so right. like they're all like oh great job jimmy i love great idea and i'm like i even I'm liked just, a lot of the the, yeah. the gnarly ones too well this is before i think you had a chance to so i just like <laughs> i'm scrolling all the way past those comments that jimmy loves and i just want to get to the the good stuff and i'm like oh, oh here God. they come and then i came back uh, like the next day, and oh, you God. started loving some of the not so good ones, <laughs> and uh, it was uh, causing some some heated discussion. So if you're looking for a good read, go to the comments oh, section of that. Video. Yeah, and, I, and like I said, I just uh, I'm not even reading the ones that like you know denigrate me personally. I'm just approving everything. I'm just approving because I just want to see where this goes. Because it's you know it's it's just a throwaway idea. I didn't ruin an <laughs> antique gun. I actually got a replacement stock, which was very cheap. You see, that's yeah. where that's where the comments are, are coming from because you're there's a couple of topics in there. One is guns. Guns is just going to be a heated yeah. conversation yeah. no matter what. And two, you're taking something that's old and modifying it, and that right. also stirs stirs it up. And three, yeah. uh, people don't uh, necessarily agree with your design. Yeah, which is fine. I mean, it's totally it's just it's just a step in another direction. That's all it is. It's a it's nothing final, which is what people don't understand. Yeah. It's just I'm brainstorming in public and you know, I, I got this inspiration, I did it. And uh so anyway, to bring it back to C and C, it's the same thing. People don't like change. They don't you know, there's no reason there's no reason to use that in my workflow. I'm happy cutting, you know, the way I do and but it opens a whole new door. It's just another tool. And you start thinking with that tool, you start thinking, what can I make with this tool? How can I, you know, I got to make these 25 shop boxes, which organize, well, it's really more like 10 or 15. How can I organize my screws? How can I take the scrap? So last night I'm like cutting scrap up and gluing it to the table so that it would land right where the cut is. And I'm using every little piece of scrap I have to make these boxes. And uh, I made the sevens, the big number sevens. I have two perfectly matched number sevens. I would have cut them out on the bandsaw, which probably would have been just as good in my world. But it's a lot of fun to sit and watch this thing works. There's a really big misconception, and you guys can agree or disagree, is you just push the button and walk away. <laughs> For that, real. I never <laughs> walk away from the CNC. You got to sit and watch it because if you break a bit, if there's a piece of wood becomes dislodged and in the way, you got to move it. So there is... There is no 
unmanned cutting that ever takes place. I there mean, sometimes be. there shouldn't. <laughs> I mean, sometimes people do that, but there should not be. Just yeah. be clear. Yeah, there's moments in time where you're like, okay, I've cut this thing seven times. I know what it's going to do. But when you walk across, it happened to me the other night. I walked across the room to check my phone. I came back and the piece of wood became dislodged and the whole board was like shifting around. I, I forgot to put a clamp on, so I had to stop it. But if I left that alone, it would have broke the machine. So you got to pay close attention anytime you see and see. But I'm when super I hear excited somebody, to have this. Go ahead, Dave. When I hear somebody say, oh, you push a button and you walk away, I think of like... <laughs> Oh, the the machine did all the work for you, but what you're what you're leaving out is all the stuff that you had to learn before that. How to oh, come yeah. up with the drawings, how to do the the dog bone joints, and um, learning what bits do what, and feed rates and plunge rates and all that. There's a whole learning curve. It's it's a it's another tool that you have to learn to use. It doesn't just do it on its own. Yeah. And I mean, the unfortunate thing there is that, like, we can say that, what you just said, a thousand times. Yeah. And <laughs> that's gonna not going to matter. It, it sucks because, I mean, people should have the understanding that, you know, any any new tool that you use, re, re, use requires a bunch of learning ahead of time. And, like, for people that have not seen that portion of the learning, the skill that you have to put in ahead of time before the machine does its work, that doesn't matter to them. So it's a shame, but I think... I don't know. I have a, I have an opinion about this. <laughs> I get a lot of it. I get it from CNC. I get it from laser. I get it from 3D printing all the time. And it's frustrating. But at the same time, I understand that, like, somebody that has zero experience with that portion of the work doesn't understand that, that it's work, right? Mm-hmm. So that if they've never modeled into something, they don't really understand what goes into modeling and the things you have to, like you were saying, the things you have to learn ahead of time before you even do the work. Um, so I, I'm trying to be uh, understanding of their lack of experience and their lack of knowledge when it comes to this stuff. So I think probably what I've, what I've gotten to, and I think probably what we should do here to be the most productive is to explain some of that stuff yeah. so that people who have no experience with it understand everything that happens before you push that button because that's the work, Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not trying yeah. to tell you what to do. I'm just <laughs> no, no, no. Just, it's I'm, absolutely I'm, true. I've thought about that a lot. So. The modeling and the nuances that go into it. For instance, I'm making these finger jointed boxes. I go to a thing called uh, Case Maker or Maker Case. I forget. It's just like a website, and you yeah. can go in and Maker make, Maker Case. Maker yeah. Case is one of a few, and you can go right in there, and you could say, "I want a box that's 11 inches wide, 12 inches high, 10 inches deep," and it gives you that already laid out, and then you tell them how many finger joints you want, how thick the material is going to be, and then you hit export plans and then the plans come out but then i take those plans into illustrator and because they're vectors i can push them around i can get rid of the finger joints on one side so i have a box that's just an open top i can put a handle groove in it i can add my logo if i want i can go and shift around some of the joints where i want it to look certainly a certain aesthetic but by also having an understanding of illustrator and photoshop and all these other programs that have been around much longer than all this new technology it helps because you can certainly work hand in hand. Um, I made these little tiny boxes on the laser. God, it's so rewarding to be able to just export this thing and then to the size you need. And then you could cut it and you're like, oh, let me change this. Let me go back into the file and change that. So there is a lot of nuance to it that people don't understand. And if you have no experience with any kind of computer programming, it'll be obviously a much bigger learning curve for you. But I've seen some guys really... A lot of because we were three of us are exposed to the big fan base that we all have. I've seen some guys that whose lives have turned completely around because they've been open minded 
to CNC. And mm. it doesn't mean they, they will never still make a cabinet the same way they used to or still do style and rail door panels. And it's just another part of their process. And yeah. as a sign maker growing up, my whole entire life, I've been cutting signs on the bandsaw and striving for perfection. I mean, if you're a bandsaw operator, what I always do is I leave the line plus a tiny fraction, like maybe two or three thousandths of white paper. So if I'm bandsawing, I leave the line of the, the artwork that comes out of the printer and a little hair of white so that I know where I am. Because the minute I cut into the black line, which is only, you know, 20 thousandths wide, I'm start to lose where I am. So I'm always striving for perfection and by hand. And then when I got my little shop bot and I started getting absolute perfection as a type nerd, I was so excited. There's no wavy line from the bandsaw in it. There's no miss. Oh, you know what? This serif doesn't look like that, but no one's going to notice. Everything is exactly the way Bedoni designed it or whoever it is. It's exactly perfect. It's exactly Times Roman. And... What about cutting so out the, 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 the circles in the middle of the piece without having to cut all the way through <laughs> yeah, like you would exactly. have a bandsaw? So from, from a type or a sign maker's perspective, having a CNC is, is a tremendous... I mean, it, it, you can't have a sign shop now without having a CNC. Yeah. Uh, you know, a, a, a profitable one. I mean, you could be yeah, a hand-carved yeah. guy that just does like hand-carved letters... But if you want to make like a career out of making signs, you got to at least have a, a CNC, a small one to handle certain things or whatever, or even a laser. I mean, I got, we all have lasers and CNCs now, but laser is, is also just, so, it's like amazing. It's so incredible. You could draw a doodle and then within minutes it's engraved in something. I remember a yeah. time where you'd have to like draw a doodle and then take it to the trophy shop because <laughs> those are the only places in the world that would be able to figure out how to put it into metal. I remember I worked for some guy <clears throat> who was on some softball team and I was always helping him get his trophies. And I'd be like, this is, you know, there was no thought process. That was the way you had to go to a trophy shop. And a trophy shop yeah. is these weird things. You're like, this guy makes a career making trophies, but there was no <laughs> other place to go and get anything engraved. You had to go to a trophy shop. Yeah. To jump back a, a bit, you were talking about how like some people's, they're, I don't remember how you said it, but it made me think of, when we were in Chicago, I was talking to Zach from Inventables. I don't think he would mind me sharing this. Um, but I was talking to him about like how it was going at Inventables. And he was saying it was really interesting because he got kind of teary-eyed saying this. Like They started making a CNC machine. They sold it. It was just part of their business. And then over the last year or so, he's been to several people's homes you know, to help them set up machines. He'll go like hand-deliver machines. And he's seen families that are supported by an X-Carve in the garage. And somebody had a job that they didn't really enjoy so much, and they got an X-Carve, and they started making signs, or they started making whatevers. <clears throat> and then it turned into their livelihood. And so it's really interesting. Like, I understand that some people may not think that CNCs or digital fab tools are true woodworking, or it's hands-off or whatever, but in this case, like in that particular conversation, the thing that hit me was, who cares? It doesn't matter if it's real to Joe Schmo in wherever, because he thinks woodworking is whatever. It doesn't matter. It made that person and that family be able to do something that they've wanted to do because of a machine that didn't exist or wasn't accessible right. just a few years ago. Right. And so if you look at it from that perspective, who cares? Like, right. 
you know, it, it's, it's changing someone's life. It's letting them do something that, that they couldn't have done otherwise without that machine. Right. And to me, and, and that, maybe that's an extreme kind of emotional case or whatever, but it's a reality. And so if you, like you were saying, the profitability of a, you know, a sign shop or a, a, a trophy shop, it's not, it's, it, it would be really difficult for those two things to be profitable without fab tools that could create at the rate you need to be able to create, um, you know, with, to make a living. With precision so, as you need. Yeah, yeah. And so I, I don't know. I, like I get fired up about this because I just I the negativity towards these type of tools I understand it because it's encroaching on something that people are used to or you know maybe they they are proud of their hand tool ability to be able to create these things and I'm right on that's good but it gets lost sometimes that these tools are providing an entirely different thing to a lot of people uh, that was just never accessible. And in my mind, personally, accessibility to stuff is like way more important than pride. You know, like if people can get access to a tool to do the thing that they want to do right on, that's mm-hmm. so much more important than somebody like getting their feelings hurt because they can do it better by hand or they spent 10 years or 20 years doing this thing by hand. Anyway, that's my soapbox. I'm done. Well said. <laughs> I, I do want to go back, and maybe we should have mentioned this at the very beginning, because we just all assume that people know what a CNC is. But a CNC, in its most basic form, is a router. So just a bit that's spinning. And it's controlled by a computer, and it moves in an XYZ axis. Left, right, uh, top, bottom, up, and down. And... Mm-hmm. You actually could do the same thing handheld. You can make templates and stuff without uh, a CNC and without a computer. This is just a, a it's a it's another tool that allows you to cut through typically flat pieces, uh, two dimensional shapes. You can do some three D stuff too. I don't know. If, did you think that explained it well enough? Well, yeah. Just to get basic, more basic, CNC means computer numeric controlled. So CNC means you have a gantry. CNC is computer numeric controlled, but typically CNC is short for a machine that has the gantry with the XYZ. Those are the three directions basically you need to go in most operations. And the CNC could be for a laser head. The CNC could be for a router head. The CNC could be for a drag cutter. The CNC is basically, no one seems to mind silhouettes, the, you know, the silhouette machine that cuts out vinyl. No one gets mad at those. You know, <laughs> I've had people get mad at those. Silhouette. <laughs> silhouette, is a C, a silhouette is a brand name of a machine that makes vinyl letters. And also a lot of, like a lot of guys, uh, a lot of people across mid-America, you can, you do what's crafting or uh, scrapbooking. And a lot of the, you'll see it late night TV, they sell a silhouette for, or it's called a cricket is another version, where that's basically a CNC. They've taken the printer, what looks like a regular printer, and by moving the paper in and out, that's your Y axis. And Z is the, uh, or rather X is your left to right. So instead of having a gantry it just has wheels that pull the paper in and out that's your y-axis and the thing slides across and does your cutting so that is a cnc machine that's a computer numeric control paper cutter it's either a cricket or a silhouette um so those are really accessible too if you want to get into cncing get your hands on one of those those are super fun to play with and you can make some really beautiful type images or just any kind of images and they're cheap Bob, I bought one because you had one when we first got hmm. together and started hanging out. And I didn't realize that they were... Because when I worked at a sign shop in the 80s, 
they will thousands of dollars. It was like a brand new technology, and then oh, yeah. you'd have to like kind of invest in like a big CNC version of a like a giant like what, plotter. What was called a plotter. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So I only ever had that image of a plotter in my mind, or or the vinyl cutter, and then I didn't realize that Silhouette had made them more accessible. It's like buying a an Epson printer, mm-hmm. for instance. It's the same same price category. Yeah. Bob, you use yours to make the uh, the little logos and stuff on your arcade buttons, right? Yeah, I've used it several times for stuff like that um, to make really precise small things that that don't have a backing, right? So you don't they don't have like a they go on a glowing button, but they don't have a surround. It's like a die cut sticker. Another thing that people use those a lot for is making stencils for spray painting or for screen printing. Mm-hmm. And that's like a yeah. way faster way to make a screen printing. You know, it, it, it doesn't last as long as if you made an emulsion uh, negative, but uh, it's another very quick and pretty inexpensive way to make a stencil, you know, for whatever purpose. But a lot of people use it for um, for screen printing. I saw somebody, I, our friend Mark Schaefermeyer did that this weekend for the first time, I think, and had really good luck mm-hmm. with it. Like it's a really good looking screen print. And I never even thought to use it for screen printing. That's, that's yeah. cool. Yeah. Yeah. So I use that. I haven't used it a lot lately, but the times that I've used it, it's been the perfect solution for whatever it was that I needed. You know, if I need a really tiny but precise sticker for like a graphic, I know yeah. Builder Ann uses it for props a bunch. He can make really tiny letters uh, for I have details to use it this weekend. So I have to use it this week. I got to make the bindings for all those books that, that I made this desk that looks like a bunch of book bindings mm-hmm. and the client sent me a, a bunch of titles. So I'm going to not do every book, but maybe every other book is going to have a book title on it of, you know, some of the books that are popular among that age group. Hmm. But it's, um, the funny thing about that machine is I, I don't use it often enough to be confident every time I pull it out <laughs> of the box. And so every time I pull it out of the box, I'm like, this is going to be a horrible failure. And then it's like, <laughs> and then it works. Yeah. I got always have to download the new version of the software because it always has to be updated. It's been, I use it that infrequently, but every time I open it up, I'm like, "Oh, is it really working? <laughs> oh, it works!" <laughs> so that's the the <laughs> the pleasant surprise I go yeah. through every single time I pull the cricket out of the box, the silhouette rather. So we we kind of talked about CNC, like what it is, but I guess the the code end of it, or uh, the, somebody a couple days ago, man, I'm all over the place today. I've had a lot of coffee, I think. A couple of days ago, somebody asked, does the X-Carve in a comment or something, does the X-Carve use the same language as something else? I don't remember what it was. And so it might be good to address the language of a CNC machine. And this is CNC, in this case, meaning 3D printer, laser, uh, you know, router. Those are all CNC machines. They all run off something called G-Code. And the G-Code is a set of instructions that are like these, it's like a G36 is a command, and then G28 is a command. And so it's a bunch of those, like a whole bunch of those, in a text file, basically. And so the machine, the brain of the machine, understands what to do when it gets that a particular command and some coordinates, right? Computer numeric control. Exactly. So it gets that language. And so when you talk about the language of a CNC, you're really talking about a file of instructions as to, like, go here, cut, you know, or start cutting, go here, then go here, then go here, then go here. It's just that. That's all it is. And so when we talk about CNC software, those are things that generate that G-code. There are things like Vectrix is one of them. Easel is another really simple X-Carve version. Aspire, there's a whole bunch of them. Some are free. They're all user interfaces to create that. Yeah, they they spit out G-code, basically. 
And so for the most part, most CNC machines, most different 3D printers, they all run on the same set of instruction stuff called G-code. And you can generate that a million different ways. Um, and, you know, certain pieces of software will add certain nice features or they'll handle that G-code better. They'll generate more clean code, stuff like that. But essentially the output of all of those things is the same. If you go to, is it MakerCase? I keep saying yeah. the name wrong. Yeah. Is it, yeah. So if it's MakerCase.com, you go, or maybe it's .org or whatever, whatever the hell it is. You make a, <laughs> you make a make You make a file to make a six-sided box. And then you could, it says, export plans, which will give you the, the Illustrator or the PDF. You could open an Illustrator or Corel Draw. But also, it gives you the option to look at the G-code. So you could output it. And if you're at all curious what G-code looks like, it gives you a thousand lines of code. So you hit that button, it immediately will appear on your screen from the website. And that's G-Code. Hmm. That's what the computer looks at. Yeah. So that's just an easy way to get a quick look at G-Code. Yeah, and that's actually a really good example of it, too, because it's a relatively simple shape. It's a bunch of boxes with you know finger joints or whatever. So where, if you were going to make the G-Code for like a, some really complex 3D printed object, that would be impossible to figure out, like look at the code and see like, oh, this is what it's doing. But with a geometric kind of simple shape like a case that's a pretty good example of G-code to look at because you might be able to learn a little bit about what those commands mean. You don't really need to know those commands, be clear on that, um, because most of the software does, it creates that in the background. But if you are curious about what some of those commands mean, what Jimmy's suggesting is probably a good way to kind of get a look at it. And uh, just a, a little thing about G-code, the longer you have so many lines, and I never paid attention to the amount of lines that are in G-code until the guys from ShopBot were here. Uh, Chris and Richard and we we set up as a test. I set up the uh, the box from. I, I, I have horrible movie reference re- recall. The movie Seven. Pinhead. What is that? No. What is it called? No, that's not what I was thinking. The Hellraiser. The guy opens the box. So as a joke, I was like, I go, hey, let's make the Hellraiser box. So we looked at the file online. Every side was different. I'm like, let's just pick one side and repeat it six ways. It's just a test. And then we made the. We took it. We brought in a a JPEG and brought it into Aspire and Aspire turned it into vectors and vectors. We made a cutting path and then we made a, a G code file. And then when we loaded it, the G code file had 275,000 lines of code. <laughs> wow. That's like eight hour cut. <laughs> and so we went back in and we used the node editor. So if you know anything about illustrator, every one of the, like a circle has like a good perfect circle has four nodes in it or four points that are, Bezier curve together. So you have like, you know, a good circle would probably only have four points. But because these little weird shapes inside of that graphic were like oblong, like little globule shapes, it had like maybe in some cases a hundred points, but you go in and you eliminate those points. So we were able to get the G code lines down from 275,000 to 220,000. It still was a really long cut and we just kind of cut one side just as a test. But there are all ways of making things quicker and easier. Dave, if you were, if you're curious to know what Jimmy's talking about in Illustrator, there is a path simplify um, mm-hmm. um, tool command that you can you can use. Just throw that in. There. Yeah, a path a path has dots on it, and the dots indicate where the line goes next. And those dots are read by the G code. If there's a thousand dots in a circle, it's going to read each one of those dots. So you have like. It basically, there's too much fat in that file. You can get rid of a lot yeah, of that fat. That's a good way to put it. But that, now we're getting into the weeds of like kind of more complicated stuff. But hmm. yeah, 
It can be as complicated or as simple as you want it to be. You can actually <laughs> just find a clip art image and load that into whatever software you're using and output that in the G code without having to get into the weeds and understand things. Or you can be creative as you want to be, design something in a 2D or 3D application and, and I'll put that to the machine. All this being said, I never ever look at the G code. I never actually see yeah. it. It's completely disguised from me as the user. Yeah. And you know what I'm sitting here talking to you guys? I'm laughing to myself. If if I if the ten ten years ago version of me, if the forty year old version of Jimmy Duresta got to listen to this conversation, they'd be like, What is what happened to you? <laughs> You've changed. You've <laughs> changed. So you were never gonna leave the shop and just only use band sauce for everything. What what's wrong with you? So Evolution. If if it that's what if it, it could happen to me, it could happen to you. That's right. <laughs> well, we could probably talk about this forever uh, and go, you know, really deep on like why you would use it and all that stuff. I only had one more thing that I wanted to say about this. Um, and I mean, if you guys have more, that's cool. But one thing I wrote down was that when you start using any of these digital fabrication tools, the natural, I mean, just like if you start using any tool, the first things you do with it are going to look like you just got started with it, right? If you start with a bandsaw, your first cuts are not going to be great. They're not going to be straight. They're not going to be high, highly detailed. And when you start using these digital tools, it's the same way. You can tell that you're, you're learning it. I think like anything, the expertise of something you know, after you've done it a long time, you learned a lot of stuff. The expertise gets to a point to where you can hide the fact that you're using specific tools. You don't see the tool mm -hmm. in the end product as much. That's when you know you're yep. getting really good at it. And so I, I think people that there are some people that always look at these tools like you're always going to be able to tell that something's CNC'd or you're always going to be able to tell that a prop or something is 3D printed. That's not true. That's, that's inexperience and that's the learning process. But eventually, when you do anything long enough, you can hide the tool in the end result. And so, I don't know, I guess that's, I want to say that really as, a, good point. as an encouragement to people and as a way to, like, maybe prove people wrong. Because I think a lot of, a lot of that sentiment is just about people learning. It's about experience, you know. And eventually, uh, you can hide the tool. I don't know. That's kind of what I had. I, I got You remind me of an experience I had in '92. I worked for a toy company. I was a I was part timer at a toy company, and I remember our graphic designer started designing things with a computer. Dun, dun, dun. And everybody in the toy company is like, "Oh my god, <laughs> is this is this really where we're going? Really? I mean, really? We got to use a computer now? Can't just do it by hand the way everybody always did it?" And they would they would bring in the mechanicals, and we'd have meetings, and everybody and they'd be like, "They're cold." I just there's something about it, you know, like the owner of the toy company. I, I don't, do we have to use a computer? And we were just looking at flat images mm -hmm. <laughs> at the time. And they really did look cold in, in hindsight. But they, there was really basic, simple shapes and basic colors. And, and the typefaces and like the, the, the letters were arched. And when we looking back at the, the packaging, it's a vivid image in my mind. I was like, God, that looks so stale. But in short shrift, they got really into the computer and understood how to do layers and Illustrator and Photoshop all became all the aspects. But they were just scratching the surface because the, the, the design house was just learning how to use computers. It really, like they literally like, you know, mortgaged the house and bought three computers and then got into it. And then all of a sudden, things started to catch up with the technology. The user 
experience started to catch up with the technology. It happened really quickly. So you you mentioned something. I I watched this little um, documentary on this uh, electronic band called Chromio last night, and you mentioned you know sometimes the computer uh, generate stuff looks cold and this electronic band who uh, just has like an arsenal of all these different synths they they talk about like some of these synths sound computery and cold so what they do is they mix other things in there some more organic sounds to 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 combat that cold or so they work together so uh bringing this back to cnc you could have these computer feel pieces but then you can add some handcrafted uh hand cut yeah. things to them as well to warm them up that's an excellent yeah, you point. can always carve into whatever it is you cut i've done that a couple times as well mm. right on that's a really good point um you guys got anything else on this that's good that's part good. one part, <laughs> part yeah. one of there's 50. a lot to talk about and <laughs> and to be perfectly uh, candid, I was in the naysayer camp five years ago. I, I really was afraid of the learning curve. And so to be afraid of the learning curve, it manifested in me being defensive. I was like, nah, I don't need that. Yeah. I do everything on the bandsaw. <laughs> I don't need that. <laughs> and it's really opened my life. It really has expanded my horizon. And now it's like, I want, I, I am CNCing steel, plasma cutting steel. Like, whenever I do that, I feel like. Like Tony Stark. I mean, that's that's partly a joke because that's where that machine came from, the Tony Stark movie. It It's amazing to be able to throw in a piece of 3-8-inch steel and it turn into whatever shape you want. Anyway. Yeah. Just excited to be alive. Yep. No doubt. <laughs> what are we watching? All right. I have two. I'm going to pull a Bob Claggett this week and I Uh-oh. have two. All right. Both of them are HBO documentaries and I watched both last night. One is called Brillo Box, three cents off, and it is the story. I know, right? It is the story of um, the the filmmaker. She grew up, and there was this Andy Warhol Brillo Box piece of art that was in her living room. And then when she became an adult, she wondered what happened to it, and so she kind of um, her her father basically. Andy Warhol made a bunch of Brillo boxes, cornflake boxes, and some other boxes just to uh, show. It was like his his take on consumerism and art. And her father bought this Brillo box and then sold it. And she found the followed the path of where it was for the last forty years. And eventually, it sold for like three million dollars or whatever. Whoa. It's really cool. It's really cool to see how um, where art can go, what people consider art, what people don't consider art so it the that documentary might get some juices flowing it might uh you might come up with some ideas on your own and the other one is also an hbo documentary called david bowie the last five years and it's it it's really it's it's just really good it just talks about um the last two albums that david bowie made he kind of he could see that uh, he was getting sick and kind of like his his final opportunity to to create something, and it's really inspiring. You that also might get some creative juices flowing watching that movie as well. So there you go. Awesome. I'm gonna blow up my buddy Andrew Alexander. He's Blacksmith Tools on Instagram. He and I have developed a very strong bromance in the last few months. We talk on the phone from time to time. We we text quite a bit, but. 
he has the most incredible collection of blacksmithing tools and fabrication tools. Blacksmithing is like his primary focus, but occasionally he gets paper cutters, book binding machine, anything that's old steel, anything that weighs thousands of pounds. And, and you, people think I have a collection. I probably have a half of a percent of the amount of things this guy has. <laughs> and uh, talk him into doing talkabouts and videos and YouTube. If you go to him, say, Jimmy DeResta sent you to start doing YouTube videos. We've been talking. I've been kind of giving him some coaching a little bit on how to use cameras. But he does a really good job on his Instagram. His Instagram's growing quickly, but he does cleanouts. He finds these amazing old abandoned places and gets the most incredible tools. And he told me, I don't think he would mind me saying this, he drives everywhere he goes with his 30-foot trailer just in case he finds something cool. He goes, I take it with me everywhere I go. Wow. If you think I was bad, this guy, he basically has a Smithsonian collection of antiquated machinery, and it grows every single day. If you watch his Instagram, you'll see. And he has an incredible collection of wrenches. I was going to do like a 100 collection of wrenches, like a 100 you know, milestone, 100,000 subscribers. I have like two wrenches compared to him. He's got hundreds and every one of them is completely unique and unusual. So huh. check out Andrew Alexander. Blacksmith Tools on Instagram is his name. Right on. Nice. Cool. Uh, well, mine is somebody we all probably know, but um, April Wilkerson, she's been... Yes. <laughs> man. Okay. So she has been building her shop from the ground up. Incredible. Like dirt. Then they put in a slab. Then she framed this entire, like, oh, it's like 3,600 square feet or something. It's a big building. She did it. I think her footprint is the same as mine, I think. But she has a, a covered porches and stuff, yeah. so she's got bigger. But, man, she's yeah. been working on this. And, you know, watching her Instagram, you can see that she's been working on it for a long time. And she started putting out the videos for the build. And, I mean, I've been impressed watching the Instagram just to see how much work she's putting in and how well it's going. But at the same time, I was also like, how do you make a video about a project that big? Because I have a bunch of big projects that I'm trying to figure out how to, you know, how to tell the story about. Um, and so I was really curious to watch how she presented that. And I watched it this morning, the first one, and it was really good. It was her kind of talking through the process she showed footage of all the different pieces. Like, it was really well put together. She explained tons of information about the framing process and how they went about it and everything. But anyway, I'm just super happy for her that she's going to have this space. I'm impressed by her, by her content, and by how awesome she is at building stuff. And <laughs> she's just, like, fearless. Yeah. Man, she's great. And she's amazing. everybody needs to check her out. She's an inspiration to a lot of people, including somebody I live with. So I'm happy about that. Yeah, for sure. Nice. So go check her out. And I think today she actually put out the second video. Uh, the first one was about the framing. The second one was, I don't know what it was about, but it's another segment of the entire building. And she's not finished building it, so there'll be several more to come. So be sure to check out April. Um, let's see. I think that's about it. we got to thank our Patreon supporters, of course. Um, especially Make, Build, Modify, Chad from Mancrafting, Dor Sharir, Michael Schubert, Works by Solo, Malton Make, Corey Ward, Evan and Caitlin, and Wise Old Dow. But there's a huge list of people that support us on pa on Patreon, and we're really grateful for that. Um, it's it's really, really cool. It, it, you know, we talked a few weeks ago about how we are going to try to maybe hire somebody to edit and everything. The only re way that we could possibly do that is because of the Patreon support. So that's pretty fantastic. So if you want to support the show in any way, uh, even a dollar, you know, is still fantastic. Go to patreon.com slash making it. 
And everybody who supports us there at any level gets access to the after show, which we're about to record right after we get done here. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 Still uh-huh. on board for that. <laughs> I, I might be recording. I'm ready for my to do list. I don't know. All right. You guys got anything else for this week? That's good. That's it. Thank you. All right. I'm good. Thank you, everybody. Love you. Love you. Jimmy out. Later. Oh, great. <laughs>